I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. And we are two Shakespeare nerds who decided to make a podcast about our love for Shakespeare. In this podcast, we will tackle as many dimensions to Shakespeare's plays as we can by looking at the text, examining the historical context in which it was written, and how the text is viewed through modern lenses of feminism, racism, classism, colonialism, nationalism, ableism, all of the isms. We will discuss how his plays shaped both the past and present, and, as actors, how his plays can be responsibly performed today, all while trying our best to approach his works without giving in to bardolatry. So, Shakespeare anyone? Hi listeners, it's Courtney here. If you are listening to this episode after 2023, you might be wondering, who is this Corey Lee Smith host? When we started this podcast, I went by that stage name, Corey. I've chosen to leave my stage name and, as you know, I now go by Courtney. But before you enjoy past Elise and past Courtney's episodes in our back catalog, I wanted to clarify the name switch. Now that I've set that straight, I invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode. Hello listeners, this is Courtney. Elise and I are so thrilled to continue bringing episodes of Shakespeare Anyone to listeners like you for free. We do this out of our love for Shakespeare, theater making, scholarship, and decentering dead white men. We put a lot of hard work into research, recording, editing, and generally producing a podcast. With that said, I'm here to remind you all that we have a Patreon page if you want to support our current work and our future goals that we believe Patreon will help us achieve. We've created a variety of support levels and continue to create exclusive bonus content for our patrons on a monthly basis. Our bonus content so far includes Shakespeare Stuff We Loved This Month posts, where we share the Shakespeare-related products we are obsessing over. Not only that, but we already launched bonus episodes. One is an extension on our conversation with Dr. Simone Chess about John Lilly's Galatea and Early Modern Trans Studies. And the second is a conversation with special guest Stephanie from Protest Too Much Podcast, in which we review Joel Cohen's Macbeth starring Denzel Washington and Francis McDormand. Elise and I also discuss Shakespeare-adjacent content, like movies, TV shows, books, to name a few, and share those conversations exclusively to Patreon. These are incredible conversations you can unlock as a patron. We also have plans for additional bonus episodes, including more special guests, more film reviews, and even an Ask Us Anything. Distinguished patrons even receive exclusive voting power and snail mail. If you would like to join us and support the production of this podcast, or just check out the Shakespeare-themed names we've given the support levels, head to patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. The link will also be in our episode descriptions. And if you like what you hear, Elise and I would greatly appreciate it if you could rate, review, and follow us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Your review might even make it on an episode. When you're done, be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and then tell a friend. Word of mouth is our best form of advertisement. Thank you for listening and all of the support you give us and the podcast. Now, onto the episode. Welcome to another Shakespeare Anyone mini-episode. In these mini-episodes, 
we'll be exploring topics that are related to Shakespeare but aren't necessarily connected to whatever play we've been discussing. And they're many because, well, they're shorter than our other episodes. They're like quartos if the regular episodes are folio editions. Today's episode is another part of our series on Shakespeare's language framework, or how Shakespeare's use of language can inform our understanding of his works. In today's episode, we are going to step away from the plays a little and take a look at Shakespeare's sonnets. In addition to his plays, Shakespeare also wrote 154 sonnets. A sonnet is a poem of 14 lines with varying rhyming schemes. Literally translating as Little Song, the sonnet originated in Italy and was brought to England in the 1500s by Sir Thomas Wyatt and Henry Howard, Earl of Surrey. A sonnet usually reflects on a single sentiment with a turn or clarification of thought in the final lines. The rhyme scheme of a sonnet can vary, and when we describe rhyme schemes, we use letters to indicate which lines rhyme with each other. A rhymes with A, B rhymes with B, and so on. There's the Petrarchan style, based on the poems that Petrarch wrote to a woman named Laura, pronounced Laura, to make the meter work. There are love poems that detail Petrarch's admiration for Laura's beauty from afar, cataloging and complimenting each body part. Recall how Twelfth Night's Olivia calls out Cesario and Duke Orsino for using the Petrarchan style to catalog her body. A Petrarchan sonnet divides the 14 lines of a sonnet into two sections, an eight-line stanza, or octave, that rhymes A-B-B-A-A-B-B-A, then a six-line stanza that rhymes C-D-C-D-C-D, or C-D-E-C-D-E. Examples of this style include John Milton's When I Consider How My Life Is Spent and Elizabeth Barrett Browning's How Do I Love Thee. Wyatt and Surrey developed the form that became known as the English, or Shakespearean, sonnet, which turns the 14 lines into three four-line stanzas, or quatrains, followed by a couplet. And, of course, everything is in iambic pentameter. Check out our first Language Framework mini-episode on prose and verse for more about iams and pentameter. The rhyme scheme of the English sonnet goes A-B-A-B, C-D-C-D, E-F-E-F, G-G. Each quatrain is made up of alternating rhyming lines until the couplet at the end, where two rhyming lines are paired together and provide that final turn or clarification. We can find examples of sonnets within Shakespeare's plays, in addition to the 154 that were published separately. In Romeo and Juliet, when the title characters first meet, the first 14 lines they speak to each other form a sonnet. And for clarification, Elise will read Romeo's lines and I will read Juliet's. If I profane with my unworthiest hand this holy shrine, the gentle fine is this. My lips two blushing pilgrims ready stand to smooth that rough touch with a tender kiss. Good pilgrim, you do wrong your hand too much, which mannerly devotion shows in this. For saints have hands that pilgrims' hands do touch, and palm to palm is holy palmer's kiss. Have not saints' lips and holy palmer's too? I, pilgrim, lips that they must use in prayer. Oh, then, dear saint, let lips do what hands do. They pray, grant thou, lest faith turn to despair. Saints do not move, though grant for prayer's sake. Then move not while my prayer's effect I take. Sonnets can also be found in Love's Labor's Lost and Henry V. However, when scholars, or really anyone, 
refers to Shakespeare's sonnets, they are referring to the 154 that were published separately. Shakespeare's sonnets were originally published as a quarto in 1609. The quarto was titled Shakespeare's Sonnets, Never Before Imprinted, and contains a dedication page before the poems that reads, To the only begetter of these ensuing sonnets, Mr. W.H., all happiness and that eternity promised by our ever-living poet, wisheth the well-wishing adventurer in setting forth. T.T. It is not clear if the order in which the sonnets were published was intentional or random, and if it was intentional, we can't know if that was Shakespeare's decision or the publisher's. In addition to the sonnets, the quarto also includes a poem called A Lover's Complaint. Fun fact, two of the sonnets in the quarto were actually printed 10 years prior in a book titled The Passionate Pilgrim by W. Shakespeare, which contains a lot of verse not written by Shakespeare. So the titular claim of the quarto that the sonnets inside had never before been published is technically incorrect. However, we do know that Shakespeare wrote these 154 sonnets probably at some point or over many years in the 1590s and early 1600s. We don't know if Shakespeare intended them for an audience or reader of any sort, or if they were more of a writing exercise. However, since two were previously published and a contemporary described Shakespeare as showing his quote-unquote sugared sonnets around to his private friends, he definitely wasn't keeping them a secret. We also don't know if the speaker in the sonnets is Shakespeare himself or some imagined figure. It is assumed that most of the sonnets are at least semi-autobiographical and personal, kind of like the music of Taylor Swift today. And, like Swift's fans today, scholars debate the identity of the subjects of Shakespeare's sonnets. These subjects are known as the Fair Youth and the Dark Lady. If we believe the sonnets were published in an order intended to create a sense of narrative, then most of the first 126 evoke the poet's highly charged romantic and sexual desire for a beautiful young man of high status, or the fair youth. Sonnets 1-17 through 17 focus on telling a young man to settle down and have children, both in the interest of preserving the family name and, even more, to stress the importance of reproducing so that this man's remarkable beauty can be passed on. The next set, sonnets 18 through 126, are also focused on that young man. Probably. And in the supposed narrative created by the publishing order, these sonnets tell of specific events in the relationship between the fair youth and the poet. These are sonnets like, Let me not to the marriage of true minds admit impediments, which is read at weddings today, and Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? There are three widely accepted possibilities for the fair youth's identity, all of which are tied back to the dedication of the quarto. While T.T. from the dedication is accepted to be Thomas Thorpe, the publisher of the quarto of sonnets, scholars have long speculated and debated on the identity of Mr. W.H. Some insist that the initials were somehow reversed and identify W.H. as Henry Risley, Earl of Southampton, who was one of Shakespeare's earliest known patrons. Other candidates for the identity of Mr. W.H. include another known patron, William Herbert, Earl of Pembroke, and Willie Hughes. There is also a female romantic subject in the sonnets known as the Dark Lady. Her sonnets, numbers 127 through 154, are a lot darker, 
No one's reading them at weddings, and poems addressed to her do not assert heteronormative romance. Instead, the romance with the Dark Lady has slipped into a cycle of longing and loathing. The speaker is tormented by his attraction to this woman, and he includes insults in his sonnets. Sonnet 130, which begins, My mistress's eyes are nothing like the sun, for example, employs a satirical take on the Petrarchan love poem style to give the dark lady ironic praise. While a Petrarchan love poem would itemize a woman's body parts in order to compliment them as exceptional, this poem basically says, she's not exceptional, and that's why I like her. And in fact, all these poets, including my past self, have just been exaggerating. In Sonnet 144, he also compares the two muses of the sonnets, saying of his loves, quote, the better angel is a man right fair, the worser spirit a woman colored ill, unquote. But we also don't know exactly who the Dark Lady, also known as the Black Mistress, is. Possible candidates for her identity include Mary Fitton, a lady-in-waiting of Queen Elizabeth's court, Amelia Lanier, a contemporary female poet, and Black Luce, a British-African brothel owner. We also don't know if she was Black as we would describe someone today, or just brunette in contrast to the blonde young man. Despite the popularity of his plays, Shakespeare's sonnets were not very popular at all. No one really took note of them when they were published in 1609, and for 200 years, the only thing any scholar or editor could say about them was that they were boring. One editor, when explaining why he wouldn't reprint the sonnets, even said that not even, quote, the strongest act of parliament that could be framed would make readers like them, unquote. And yet, Shakespeare's sonnets endured to this day. With a quick Etsy search, you can find almost a thousand sonnet-themed pieces of art. Sonnet 116 alone is printed on pillows, mugs, t-shirts, jewelry, and more. Rufus Wainwright put three sonnets to music for his 2010 album, All Days or Nights, Songs for Lulu. Despite editors and scholars disdaining Shakespeare's poetry for over 200 years, poets continued and continue to use the form. Robert Frost, Edna St. Vincent Millay, William Butler Yeats, W.H. Auden, Edgar Allan Poe, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, County Cullen, Claude McKay, Dylan Thomas, E. Cummings, to name just a handful, all wrote sonnets. And at popsonnet.tumblr.com, now available in book form, Eric Didrikson transforms pop songs into Shakespearean sonnets. Here are two of our favorites. 92. The tolls upon success's roads are steep, yet I did each one faithfully remit. I did each punitory sentence keep, although I never did a crime commit. Oh, I have missteps made far more than one, for each I've had sand punted in my face. Despite it all, I still have victory won and taken up the mantle of first place. Yea, triumph sweet, but tis not pure delight. No, I did not a life of leisure choose. My battle rages on, and still I fight, for I have long resolved to never lose. Our winning ways are o'er the world renowned, my friends, we have as the champions been crowned. Queen, we are the champions. 67. I caught the sound of faintly spoken words as nervously I paced the church's aisle. It was a bridesmaid that I'd overheard who said unto the steward something vile. How beautifully the wedding chapel's wrought, she haply said, ere furtively she bade, though tis a pity that it's all for naught, 
for groom has been by bride a cuckold maid. As what does not exist cannot expire, the marriage had by happenstance been saved, and thus I've raised my glass and not my ire, tis wiser I've with sober poise behaved, although I'll still that loose-lipped lass implore, hast ne'er though thought to close the goddamned door? Panic at the Disco. I write sins, not tragedies. And on that note, thank you for listening. I'm Courtney Smith. And I'm Elise Sharp. This is Shakespeare Anyone? Thank you so much for listening to Shakespeare Anyone. Works referenced in this episode are available in the episode description. Our theme music is Never Ending Minute by Sounds Like Sander. If you would like to support us, it would help us out if you would hit the subscribe button, like us, leave a comment, write a review, share us on social media, tell a friend about us, all the things. We'd appreciate it. You can also support the podcast at patreon.com slash shakespeareanyone. Patreon patrons get access to exclusive bonus content throughout the year. The link is also in the episode description. For more, you can visit our website, shakespeareanyone.com, follow us on Instagram at shakespeareanyonepod, or Twitter at shakespeareanyone. For Twitter, that's Shakespeare any and the number one. Every other platform is spelled out like the name of the podcast. Now, because you listened all the way to the end of the credits, here's a completely random Shakespeare quote for you. From Antony and Cleopatra, Act 3, Scene 13, said by Cleopatra. The next Caesarian smite, till by degrees the memory of my womb, together with my brave Egyptians all, by the discandying of this pelleted storm, lie graveless till the flies and gnats of Nile have buried them for prey.